welcome to the Unteachables podcast. I'm your host, Claire, and I am absolutely no stranger to the challenges and let's face it, sometimes carnage of being a teacher. And if you found yourself here listening with me, I'd say that you might know a bit about that as well, because being a teacher is friggin' hard. And this podcast is dedicated to making you feel a hell of a lot less alone whilst giving you the knowledge, support and strategies that you need to not just survive the chaos of being a teacher, but truly thrive. Think about it as getting a weekly dose of relatable, actionable, and most importantly, enjoyable professional learning straight into your ears. So hit the subscribe button, download me for your commute, and let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Week of the Unteachables podcast. If you're listening to this, I'm assuming that you're still at school at the moment and you're listening on your commute. If it's your summer holiday already and you're still listening to this podcast in the midst of your summer holidays, my hat's off to you. <laughs> um, but some of you are on summer holidays. Some of you are nearing the summer holidays. Some of you are, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you're definitely not. You're in the midst of the term, midst of the year. Um, and this is the time that you get pretty tired. So I hope that everyone's going okay, whatever you're doing. I did a post on Instagram yesterday and I said that um, summer is like that time of the year where people suddenly think that teaching is the easiest job in the world because we get the summer holidays and all of a sudden everyone would want to jump on the bandwagon of teaching and teachers are lazy and this and that and the other. And I said um, – can you just tell me in the comments what's one thing that you would say to these people that demean teachers before the summer holidays, like about the summer holidays? And I had some really good responses, but one of them was, I've seen things you've only seen in your nightmares. <laughs> and I said back, because I'm a high school teacher, so it's a little bit different for me. I said back, like the amount of gross phlegm sneezes into hands and then they think they're really crafty wiping their phlegmy hand on their leg, like really suspiciously and kind of subtly. Uh, and they said, oh, my God, teaching a good company. Uh, I don't know if you're listening, but let me know. Um, she said that like obviously in primary school there's a lot more gross stuff that happens than in, in, in secondary school. And actually when I was in primary school I remember standing in line in assembly and smelling this awful smell and looked in front of me. I think I was in year one or something and I looked in front of me and there was a boy in front of me that had – poo running all down his leg, but he was so afraid to stand out of line. And I'll just never forget that. So primary teachers, that probably happens all the time to you and hats off to you. Um, but this primary teacher said, there's a phantom weir who I caught red-handed wing in the corridor sink. The kid in the next cl door class who yelled, it's coming, poo is coming with their trousers already down at their ankles squatting while the TA desperately tried to escort them to the toilet. Or the Vomit Fest of 2017 where five kids in one afternoon vomited in my class and I got caught in the in the splash zone. Uh, I've been at this 15 years. There are a lot of stories. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Honestly, like if anybody thinks the job of a teacher is easy and that is not even taking into consideration everything else. Um, yeah, it's just wild, isn't it? And then somebody else said, my argument to non-teachers is as follows. One, you can use the restroom whenever you want. That is an absolute blessing, isn't it? Uh, two, you don't have to stand and perform for a crowd of people all day long. And that is so true. I always talk about like I've got a couple of friends that are in different industries and they talk about, oh, my gosh, like next week I've got to do this big presentation to the staff group. And obviously like everybody's job is difficult in different ways, but I feel like saying – I present four times a day for 75 minutes with very little preparation to 
human beings that give me instant feedback if they're bored they're not going to shut their mouths like they are going to tell me if there's something wrong with what my what I'm presenting and if they're bored with it um number three you get to go home and be done with work while teachers work countless unpaid hours outside of contractual hours I think that a lot of teachers are getting better with that but there's still a massive pressure to do that four you don't have a career where children come to you and show signs of or report abuse and neglect to you it's heartbreaking the, as we near the end of the term, the school year or even halfway through the year, a massive reminder that um, compassion fatigue and secondary trauma for teachers is all too real. It's so important to be able to um, take care of yourself in this industry because the emotional toll is so great. And someone else says, I'm just like scrolling through my phone and reading out these comments because I thought they they were really valid and really good. Someone said, try it for one day. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, I remember the first day of my teaching experience and like, I wouldn't want to wish that upon anyone. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's get into the episode. Why don't we? <laughs> so this episode is not about all of these things. This episode is about apologies and what we do when we force an apology on students. And there's a little bit of a conundrum when we ask students to apologize to other students. So just say a student does something to harm another student and as adults, we really do want to harm, like, to harm it. We really do want to resolve it because we know it's wrong. We know that other student has been harmed. We want to make this better. We want to make sure that we can put it to rest. And we know as adults and as people who have these skills uh, that an apology is a good avenue to get there. So we have a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. We might say something like, what do you say? Or say sorry. It doesn't necessarily work that way. And if we are going down the route of just saying apologize to this person, we're missing out on so much opportunity for authentic growth. And it is, it's such a challenging circumstance to be in as, as teachers, but these need to be teachable moments. And we need to be able to support our students effectively through that because there are a few problems with forcing an apology or expecting an apology as a given. The first thing that's a problem with forced apologies is that it doesn't allow either party to feel heard in that situation or work through any of the intricacies of what led to the event. Let's just imagine that you've got two students, you come into the classroom, one of the students is sitting there minding their own business and doing their work and the other student comes along, calls them a name and swipes off their um, their pencil case onto the floor. When we're just saying to the student who swipes something off onto the floor, apologize to that student. We don't know what's happening underneath and bubbling underneath the surface there. And it's so easy to then that student can just, it's a massive out for them. It's okay, sweet. I can just apologize. And then all of this dissipates. It's like a a get out of jail free card for them. Um, So it doesn't allow the student who was harmed to feel heard. It doesn't allow for any authentic um, development from that. It doesn't allow that student that felt um, harmed to feel safe in front of the other student. So reason number two is it's a missed opportunity to genuinely repair the relationship and develop the crucial social emotional skills that the student who did the harming needs and then the other student to be able to move on from that and to be able to do better next time without a discussion actually surrounding that event is unlikely to support any kind of real change whatsoever. And it's so important for us to be trying to model as much as possible and teach children the skills to navigate these challenges and conflicts in a meaningful way. This is such a, a teachable opportunity for our students to be able to learn how to do these things. We don't get born with these skills of conflict resolution. We do this through all of the little things that happen. So every time we have a conflict, that's when we learn. We learn in that space. So 
if we don't use those as opportunities for teaching, then we're never going to learn anything. So reason number three why there's a bit of a problem with us forcing an apology or expecting it is it simply does not meet the needs at all of the person who has been impacted. So Dr. Brene Brown, she said that a genuine apology needs vulnerability and a willingness to acknowledge the impact of our actions. It's not just about saying I'm sorry, but sincerely showing remorse and taking responsibility for the hurt caused. This is especially the case when a student is a repeat offender and it often, if, if we're just saying apologize to this student, apologize to this student, apologize, if we're continually saying to apologize, but then the harm continues, that will lead to the student who has been harmed feeling disillusioned. It, it leads to a lot of mistrust. Um, it doesn't lead to them feeling safe in that space or safe with that student. There are a lot of issues there when we're just getting them to say that really quick get a jail free card of I'm sorry. So what can we do instead? Usually it takes a lot more than this if students aren't willing to apologize and if they're not really in that space to reflect. But I just wanted to give you some really quick and immediate swaps that could make a difference. So six alternative phrases that you could use tomorrow going into your classroom because there's a a massive, massive skill set that's involved in digging into these situations. I'll go into it in a second, but really digging into what's happened, how we get the authentic apology, how we you know, get to a point where students are reflective and taking accountability for these actions. So that is a massive process for some of our students. But these are a few like really easy, simple things that you can say. You can say, what do you think is needed to make things right? So that will help us empower our students to come up with their own solutions. And sometimes they really do surprise us. But the most important thing is when you ask them, you know, what do you think is needed to make things right? It puts the onus on them to take accountability and to make their own restoration from that discussion. Number two, how do you think that that person might be feeling? It helps them to develop the empathy to put themselves in the other student's shoes. And a little bit of empathy can go a really long way in these situations, especially when it comes to making the other person feel heard and valued in what's happened in that um, conflict. The third thing you might be able to say is, what do you think about what the student has just said? So just say if the person, like the student who was harmed um, comes forward and they tell their side of the story, you can get the student who has done that harming to reflect. What do you think about what's just been said? Do you have anything to say to them about that? And it's really encouraging our students to share their thoughts and perspectives. It just gives them a little bit of a um I don't know, a little bit of an in for their inner voice. Like it allows us to kind of tap into that a little bit more. Number four, what you can say is, is there anything that you think that this person needs to be able to move forward? And sometimes it does just take us not, not telling them to apologize, but giving them a little bit of a prompt of what do you think they need to move forward? Sometimes that doesn't always have to be an apology either. I've had students say, um, you know, you're safe. I'm not going to do this again. I, I promise that when you're with me, that we're all good, you know? Um, so sometimes it is just that. And number five, uh, what do you think needs to be done differently next time? So it is all about that growth. When we're sitting down there, we've got two of our students in front of us. One's done some harming. 
if we just ask them, what do you think needs to be done differently next time? That student even just acknowledging that next time not doing X, Y, and Z will lead to a better outcome. That's more than a false apology we'll ever give for the other student. It's a bit of an acknowledgement that, yes, Mm -hmm. I did the wrong thing and I'm going to be trying really hard next time not to do that. And least, um, last but not least, number six, even if you didn't mean this, another person's feelings were hurt here. When you're hurt, what do you think you need? So, again, it develops that empathy for our students. It puts them in the shoes of the person who's been harmed um, and it helps with them understanding and it helps with healing. So those are just a few, like six things that you can say instead of the classic apologize say sorry, blah, 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 blah. Those six things will just help to increase the level of reflection from your students and just help them be accountable for what they've actually done. Any opportunity possible that you can step away and not dictate to them, but get them to reflect and get them to say things on their own. That's where the power is in these kind of conversations. So as much as possible, stepping back, giving some reflective questions and letting them come to those um, conclusions on their own. So outside of flipping our language to try in that moment to boost that reflection and accountability, there are a few things that we can do. And as I said before, it's a bigger process and a longer process than just saying a couple of things, especially with the students who really, really struggle with this stuff. It takes a lot more than just a couple of words. So when there's to say the same things happened, the students come into the class and swiped a book off a desk of another student, said something nasty to him, just say this is an ongoing thing and it's happened a lot, uh, you might discuss First, before you bring these students together, you might discuss that with the student who's done the harming first. I think it's really important for us before we bring these students together, and I know this takes a very long time, but if we want authentic development and we want these students to be accountable for their actions and all the beautiful things that we do want for our kids, it is important to carve out the time for that. Uh, Otherwise, nothing's going to be learned along the way and it's going to continue. The cycle's going to continue, continue, continue. So, I would take the student aside that's done that harming and unpack it and try to raise accountability and responsibility. You can go through what the discussion with the student who's been harmed might sound like so they're prepared for that. Um, You might ask questions like, how do you think they might be feeling of what happened right now? Can you give me an idea of what was happening for you in that moment? Listen to them and make them feel heard and validated so you're modelling the empathy for them. So really getting together with that student, unpacking what had happened. So when they do get in front of the student who has been harmed in this process, they'll be more likely to then take accountability and off their own backs be able to, I never know if it's off their own backs or off their own bats and both sound like they would make sense. (laughs) So my friend Carly, and I hope you're listening, Carly, because you'll be laughing, but um, she's got this rolling um, like kind of notes on her phone and it's like funny things Claire says. And I literally say all of these terms, like um, what's another one, a sliver or a slither. I used to always say slither instead of sliver. So she's got this rolling commentary of all of these things that I say wrong, these sayings that I say wrong. Um, so that might be one of them, off their own backs or bats. So just let me know what you think. So <laughs> anyway, okay, so just moving on to number two, some students need tools. There are a bunch of reasons why students might need tools to be able to go into these conversations and do it successfully. One of the big reasons is like a lot of students with social, emotional, mental health needs, they also have speech and language needs. There are a lot of barriers for them when it comes to expressing themselves, working through things. Um, so 
you could sit down with them and have some physical resources there to support them to unpack the events that have occurred. I My, my favourite one to use is storyboarding. So I literally just get a piece of paper, I draw six squares on it, I have a pen, pen as they're talking and as they're talking through the event, I'll be like just drawing really crappy stick figures to represent what's happened. Then I can present that to them and because often their stories about the event can be quite disjointed and their recollections can be a little bit weird. So I go through and I jot that down for the student. So when that's in front of me, I can then relay it back to the student. Does this look like what happened? Would you be happy to talk through this with the other person? And then it's really clear for them what happened. It's clear for me what happened. And then that's a tool they can take into the conversations. They can express themselves more clearly. They can, we can use that as a prompt. So I'll remember when you told me that this happened, do you want to talk through that? So anytime we can kind of get that down on paper or have a solid resource there that we can use for students to it's just supporting them in order like these conversations are really tough and I think as teachers going into these as adults and teachers going into these conversations it's very easy for us to think oh like it's not that big of a deal you know like it's it's just a chat to kind of talk through things but it is a big deal and especially it is a big deal for them and it could weigh very heavily on them in terms of their anxiety and their stress levels so having little prompts there little things to support them storyboarding is a really good one for me um, but you can use anything that you think might support them to tell their side of the story and to communicate effectively to the other person um, I'll talk about it soon but in my master class I have a whole bank of resources that help us to unpack the event and to you know help students to move forward with that and to help teachers as well remember how to do these conversations and it's really important to remember to only do these conversations when both parties are ready. So if you're sitting there with a student who's done the harming and they're not taking accountability, if you don't feel like they're ready to kind of reflect, if they're still in their fight, flight or freeze mode, don't put them in front of the person who's been harmed. Don't put them in front of the victim because it's not going to end well. It will just lead to more animosity. It'll just lead to more hurt. It might lead to a fight. It could lead to anything. So really consciously thinking about when is the best time to be getting these students together and it's not in the heat of the moment it's certainly not in the heat of the moment and it's not when they haven't been able to really stop and unpack these things um so only when both parties are ready to go through these conversations when they are ready i do a transformative talk process i call them transformative talks they're just restorative justice chats but i like to call them transformative talks because i've adapted them to a teaching context i've adapted them to busy teachers in the classroom needing to work with very nuanced situations with different outcomes and all the rest of it. Um, and I go through that in my masterclass as well, but it's really important for us to be engaging with our students in a way that's semi-structured. The way that um, I always do these talks is just to hit on three different points is just to make sure. And I think I talked spoke, spoke about it a little bit last episode, but um, the first thing is, are we able to tell our stories to each other? Yes, massively. Like that, that's such a big thing for these discussions. Are we able to explore and acknowledge that harm? Yes, another big thing that we have to get done in these conversations. And the last thing that we need to hit for these to be transformative talks is, is there a resolution of some kind? Have we come to a conclusion? Whether that's an apology or not, that doesn't matter. It could be anything. It could be as I said, like making sure the other person feels safe in front of you, making sure that something's done to restore the harm. Uh, it can be anything that the student chooses, that you choose, that everything kind of like works together um, to make sense for that context because every single thing is going to be completely nuanced. So I hope that was a little bit helpful in terms of thinking about um, 
you know, where our students are with apologies, why there's a bit of a, an issue with apologies, a bit of a sticking point with apologies, a conundrum there, and how to kind of work through that in a way that makes sense for you and your students. I'm going to end on a quote that uh, Little Bloom Consultancy, like Dan- um, Danica, shared in her series on children apologizing. She's come on the show before. She's, her work's amazing. So this quote highlights the complexity of the issue here and how much more is needed. So the quote is by Robinson, 2004, to demonstrate sincerity, participants need to display initiative, agency, autonomy, subjectivity, and a personal inner state fit for the action. And it really shows how like these are very complex concepts for children to grasp, all of those little things in isolation. So then when we put them all together in you know, a conflict resolution and something that they need to be doing, it feels freaking impossible. So to be able to engage in these conflict resolutions, we really need to support our students to be able to do that. We can't expect them to be able to go into this ready to go. Um, These are learnt skills. There's something that we can support them with. And it takes a totally different skill set for us to be able to do that. A very deep skill set for teachers. And I just can't believe we're not prepared for this in our teacher training really, because it's something that is bread and butter to what we do. Um, So it's a bit of a travesty that we don't get taught these things, but I guess that's why I do this work. And the skill set that you need to be able to reach these conclusions is something that I teach really explicitly along with all of the resources that you need as I discussed, all the reflective resources, the teacher resources that you need in my upcoming masterclass, Real Consequences, Real Change. Check out the show notes to see if it's still available. It is this Sunday, but I I might be, um, I might be making the replay available you know, forever. I'm not too sure yet, but just check the show notes to see if you can access that. So in this masterclass, I ran it last year. It was, you know, a hit. (laughs) Like it's one of my pride and joys, this masterclass. I absolutely love it. Um, But in this masterclass, I step you through all of the things that you need to know and do to be able to have these transformative talks in different ways for different types of conflicts. I'm not just talking about student on student conflict. I'm talking about resolving all kinds of behavior through these transformative talks. When I say resolving conflict through dialogue, I don't just mean the conflict between students. I mean, a student comes in late and they tell you to F off or, you know, a student is not completing their work. What do we do there? A student's putting their head down on a desk. All of these things I consider as conflict because they're conflict with themselves as students. There's conflict with us as teachers. There's conflict with each other amongst themselves. So all of these things I like to think of as conflict and the dialogue is just about resolving that conflict through, you know, ways that can see that as an opportunity for growth and learning and true discipline. Check the show notes and see if that's available for you um, because it'd be lovely to support you in your practice with that. It's something that's incredibly complex. And as I said, it's like just not taught to us and it is a skill that is so crucial in our classroom practice. Okay, just quickly recapping on today's session, forcing an apology. It might seem like a quick fix, but it just falls short of addressing the underlying issues and promoting authentic growth by asking students some strategic questions to boost that reflection and providing space for dialogue and modeling empathy and equipping our students with effective conflict resolution skills. We can make some great changes, not just with them and their skills in being able to do this, but also obviously in the long run with our classroom management and being able to effectively do that. So have a lovely week, everybody. Take care and I will see you next time. Thank you.